This is Movies, a podcast about the active cinema. And with me today, on a very special night, is Hans. Yes. Hi. Episode, what, 60, 70 that I've done? I don't know. You, you've you been on for longer than that now. You've done over 100 episodes with me. Oh, have we? Do we have? Oh, yeah, we do have more than 100. And as a, as a matter of fact, you subbed in as the guest host on at least one episode. And then I remember, I don't think you could pull off the entire thing. on. I think you did 20 minutes. It was like half an hour, yeah. It, it, yeah, it I, was just... I, I wrote like three paragraphs of it and I ran out of it within like three minutes. And then I was like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> I guess I'm going to babble for as long as I can on my own. Right. Uh, I think we should do what we should do. I think we should do before, though. It's mentioned that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com yes. slash lower S. That's right. right? That's it. That's totally uh, correct for the five. Listen, we're, we're doing away with the one dollar tier. So if you want free audio from the show, you're just going to have to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and wait like everybody else. It's all going to five dollars. Everything is in the five dollar tier. And then the ten dollar tier, the twenty dollar tier. What we're going to start doing is reading off the credits of the people who do donate at that level or pledge at that level rather, because you're getting something in return. It's not a donation if you get something out of it. So we're going to do something like that. And then um, uh, also after dark niche influential films of the 20th century is also returning to patreoncom slash lowres this month. It's going to be coming out in the next week. We're going to be talking about the first movie from Park Chan-wook. The moon is the sun's re- you better fucking silence that Sorry. or I'm going to break your wrist. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. We want people to sign up for Patreon. We have phones <laughs> going off in the background. What kind of professional show is this, Hans? Yep. My bad. Anyway. So what are we doing? After uh, Dark? Didn't after, we do an episode After Dark together? Well, you just spoiled it right now. Hans will oh. be the special and first and potentially only guest star <laughs> on After Dark, niche influential films of the 20th century. And that'll be for the season finale. We're going to be covering Thief. 1981, Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so join that so we can make enough money that I don't need to get a customer service job anymore and focus on this. Yeah, Instead of slaving away for 10 hours talking to stupid Americans on the phone. I mean, that's what this show is, really. (laughs) How is that any different for you? It's not 10 hours. I suppose. (laughs) Sitting here for 10 hours. Fuck. I don't have a shitty boss. Not yet. Let's see if what, what the numbers look like in a year. I might be a little more stern. I might have a ruler in my hand to threaten you and just smack it every so often to intimidate you. You may force me to wear pants every time we record. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No farting <laughs> on the air, Hans. No more of that. Uh, we're talking about a big blockbuster film today that you picked. You wanted to talk about this. The people actually really wanted us to talk about this. I got a lot of comments on Patreon and YouTube and in my Instagram DMs from people saying, hey, you guys going to talk about Dune? I wonder why. I think we planned to talk about Dune, but it wasn't a priority for me. The outsiders ravage our land. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. So you're going tomorrow? Yes, I'm going tomorrow with the advanced team. I'd like you to take me with you. You've been trying to give me court martial. Can I trust you with something? I've been having dreams about a girl falling in battle. Felt like a vision. Dreams make good stories, but everything important happens when we're awake. 
to the future of House Atreides. You have to be ready. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. They're not human, they're brutal. What if I'm not dead? You'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. Come on! My son. Stand a chance. Let's fight like demons. It's not safe for you here. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. What have you seen uh, negative reviews of it from people? Because I, I haven't really paid attention other than, you know, the, the usual uh, Twitter people that would champion anything that's big studio. So I'm not surprised, but I don't know if I've seen anything negative. Well, I have actually. I actually just read a a review on Facebook from someone I know that was like, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> This is bad and boring. I have. I don't think I've seen anything explicitly negative from a professional source or anything resembling a professional source. It seems like everybody's in unison that, oh, yeah, this is great. This is cool. But um, I, I mean, I've seen some dissension on Twitter from, uh, I mean, I guess people that, that aren't too far out of our circle of things. But for the most part, no, people seem to be in full support of Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah, just check Rotten Tomatoes, not that that matters, but it's uh, 2,500 plus reviews by audience, and it's got a 91%. Uh, and the official critics is uh, 82% from 225 people. Um, I don't... Once again... <laughs> I'm starting to think that I just don't like movies, you know, because every time we talk about a movie that I like, it's it's like something from the 70s or something from like a long time ago. Everything new, I'm always kind of like, this was a movie, you know, this this was two and a half hours. And what are you left with? Oh, cool. There's a part two to look forward to, I, I guess. Hold on. We don't actually know that yet because they haven't fucking shot it, which makes this the end of this movie could potentially be one of the most frustrating film endings <laughs> of all time, right? Very rarely do you see a film that has a conclusion that's going to be in another film. And there's a big like map, a blueprint, I guess, for this project um, going to production, be shot and then released in theaters before that second film has even been put into principal photography. 
So there's, I guess there's a, a cast and there's a script and there's everything else for Dune Part 2. But this movie needs to make its money back in order for anybody to see that. The only other time I've ever heard of that was It and It Chapter 2. Where, but I mean, let's take a look at It, that 2017 film. If that bombed, if that just didn't strike a chord with the Stranger Things crowd like it did, well, that's still a complete film. And you're not losing anything by not watching Chapter 2. You can sit down and watch It and you'll be fine. You got the story for the most part, but then obviously if you go to the book, then you know, okay, there's a lot more to this and you get that in chapter two, but you don't need that. It works yeah, on its own uh, as a film. You don't really, it's not necessary to see them older, especially after you see the second one, which feels very unnecessary too, because uh, everything is just repeated. Uh, you know, there's just scarce and, it's very paint by numbers as opposed to the first one. And uh, by the end of it, it just feels like they're just repeating the same thing over and over again every 15 minutes with every character. So even if you had just seen the first one, if you're not familiar with the book or the original movie where they become adults and actually fight him, they get rid of him in the in them as kids and there's like an ending to it. So yeah, the second one is not even necessary. If you don't watch the second one, you don't really miss on anything, I guess is what your point is with this one. Um, nothing happens in the movie, <laughs> and then it's you're not waiting that nothing happens. Movie. It's that nothing happens, and I mean there isn't a feeling like we should give a shit about what happens. There's not like a grand payoff that happens with this movie. It's all a lot of setup for what is to come, and honestly, I don't think it deserves that conclusion that they're planning and it might not i mean look it's performing well at the box office but it's performing well at the box office for a 2021 movie so my 49 million right and the budget is i think 135 million or 150 million so i have a prediction that this is just narrowly gonna make its money back and they're gonna tote it as a success 165 million yeah I I think it'll just barely do that second movie and they'll cut the budget. That's my prediction. Where do you think all that money went besides the cast? Um, I don't even think it was the cast. I think it was all the special effects. Because I'm at a loss trying to find a scene that left me with my mouth open because of how impressive visually it was. Uh, the only one I can kind of think of is the one when they're going away on the bug copter thing. And then the, there's that sandstorm that almost gets them, but doesn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what it felt like this is a guy that directed arrival and this felt like part of that same universe where he shoots a lot of wide shots to show how vast and huge this universe is. But then the characters that we see and the characters that die, we don't really get to know them enough to care. So when they die, it's kind of like, oh, they're, they're dead. The villain, that was my reaction it, with the, the death of Oscar Isaac's character, the, uh, the father yeah. of Paul. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if you take a look at the David Lynch one, that was toted as a failure creatively 
and I don't think it performed well at the box office. I'm, I'm not certain about that. It might have done okay. Obviously, it's had quite the life on home video and on cable. And there is a, I believe it's an Arrow 4K restoration of that Dune. But they um, still... It, it didn't make its money back. The money it did not. Uh, the budget was the budget was uh, 40, 42 million, and it made uh, 37.9 million. Wow. That is a failure. Uh, but if you take a look at it, in spite of packing that movie with so much information from the Dune books, um, it still functions as a movie. The characters do have weight to them, that Kyle MacLaughlin interpretation of the character. And everybody is at least two-dimensional enough where you have like a very clear understanding of them within a scene or two. And Sting is obviously just the good-looking guy waving the knife around. It, 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 He's know. great, though. Yes. I, I've never enjoyed him on anything, even his music. Uh, but in this one, I was like, okay, he's fun. You know, he's that fun, weird, crazy character in it. Uh, th that movie has personality. That movie has character. Everything in this movie feels like such an empty vessel of what the character is supposed to be. Mm. that it was very difficult for me to care about any of them. Uh, the only scene where the Paul character showed any emotion was the, the one that, I don't know if you saw it, I posted, I posted on Instagram where he gets very spitty and very, like, boogery because he's angry at his mom because mm -hmm. you gave me this gene or whatever. That's the only time he shows emotion. Every other time he's just very one-note, very whatever, which is why I was kind of not excited about the the Chalamet uh, casting because I just don't think he's an interesting character, especially when you're trying to make him be not a boy. Uh, I I understand that he's supposed to be playing the prince here or like the son, but I don't believe him as anything other than like a 13 year old that's pretending to be an adult. You know, it doesn't nothing that he does works for me, uh, and I'm sure he's good in in that doing that role. Same with the Spider Man kid. Like, he's good playing that joyful, uh, young character. But whenever they try to make him an adult, and this is the action star now, he just doesn't work because he's not believable as that. Uh, I, I didn't care for this character at all uh, throughout the movie. So seeing him, I guess, learning how to use his powers, if you want to call it that, like with the voice, a very goofy voice that they do in the helicopter when they're getting kidnapped. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know... Uh, when that scene with the when the old lady has like that straw <laughs> that's pointy straw stick to his neck um i just i don't know like i said it just feels like an empty vessel like there's no personality to any of the characters there's no i guess the only one that kind of does is the the aquaman guy what's his name um jason uh, momoa yeah because he talks like he's not in this universe he talks like a guy from california or something so it's kind of like, all right, you're different. But yeah, I just, it was very shallow to me. Like none of the characters really worked for me other than the gross villain, but just because he was a gross villain. Yeah, that, that's the one highlight of this movie is the Stellan Skarsgård antagonist of the film who is disgusting and he plays it very well. But for the most part, I think that you nailed the exact problem with this. I don't think it's Denny Villeneuve's fault I don't think it's the fault. Uh, I mean, look, the creative choices in this movie, I think, are fairly good. And they're reminiscent enough of Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival. But the cast fucking sucks. 
And this is the problem with a lot of blockbusters is they have these uh, celebrities that are contracted with Warner Brothers. Uh, Dave Bautista is one of them. Chalamet is one of them. Uh, Jared Leto is one. He's not in this movie, but Jared Leto is one of them. And that's why he was popping up in Blade Runner 2049 in a small role. And he was in Suicide Squad. And they just they're trying to tick the box. Okay, you have a 10 movie deal with Warner Brothers. You're going to fill in here. The director kind of likes you. We'd really like it if you did this movie. That's what it comes down to. And that's why you get such uninspired casting. Josh Brolin's probably one of all these A-list celebrities who have. It, I, I, I don't want to say that they don't have charisma or personality, but they have just been so whittled down by doing these movies and playing a, a certain version of themselves that they don't explore much. They don't feel like they can get creative with the acting. Nobody's really going for a home run the way that, you know, a has been or a washed up celebrity might if they get a break in a indie film. You know, you, you're not going to get, I mean, Nicolas Cage is obviously like a go-to example, uh, but I, I mean, he said it himself. He'll take any role and use it as a sort of um, educational experience to flex his acting muscles a little bit, see what he can pull off and what he can't pull off. So then he can bring something different to another role. He tries something every single time, but you see uh, him playing an unconventional role like he does in Pig and it elevates the film or something like Mandy or whatever it might be. You, none of these actors would ever do anything like that because I think they're very concerned with being a good version of themselves. But what is there is not all that interesting compared to actors who have any sort of uh, depth or balls. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know until just now that Javier Bardem plays the uh, sand guy. You know, the one he's that not bad either. Look, he's not bad either, but he doesn't do much. And that's really the problem with, I think, everybody in this movie is they're good, but Mm -hmm. they're not doing anything. They they don't have anything to really chew on or or fuck around with. I mean, Oscar Isaac and Josh Brolin have one quippy, very like basic Warner Brothers post 2008 line. Like, oh, smile. I am smiling. Of course, he's grouchy or whatever, because that's a Josh Brolin thing is hiding his alcoholism on the set. And then showing up to work and acting well. That's what he I guess that's what, that's what happens when you cast A-listers, I guess, uh, to play roles that are not the main character. They just feel out of place completely. Uh, Josh Brolin playing that army or, I guess, soldier guy uh, that's on screen for maybe 10 minutes in the movie feels weird and and it takes you out of the movie a little bit just seeing that it's Josh Brolin playing a minor role mm-hmm. instead of having someone that maybe you haven't seen before that might bring something new to the table instead you get a very one tone I'm a soldier performance from him and then he's playing the like, same right, guy I- from Sicario if you watch Sicario or Sicario Day of the Soldat it's the same character but he's got funny armor this time He's, uh, yeah. you know, he's just a medieval knight in space this time instead of, uh, you know, somebody who's hunting the cartel. He's not CIA. It did, that's another problem. It didn't feel like space to me. Mm. Like there's no there's no scenes where there or I, not that I can remember. And I saw it twice. I just finished it a couple like half an hour before I started recording. Um, 
they never show them going to different planets that I can remember. They never show anything other than when they're arriving to a place and then they get there and then the architecture is very similar everywhere. So it, it never feels like they were leaving one place to go to another other than we're going to see this base and now we're on a different base and this is the base of the bad guys and everything is inside. There's no moments of just the characters being uh, three-dimensional characters where they have more objectives other than what's moving the plot along, which I was very surprised. Damn, you're very Latin it's... tonight, Hans. I've, I heard a, a Yosh Brolin, and uh, <laughs> what was that? you just added like the little squiggly line above the end to whatever the fuck you just said. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I've been talking to my dad a lot in Spanish. That's my oh. uh, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, that that uh, everything they do just moves the plot along. Uh, I think the, the only scene that comes to mind where they're not doing something to move the scene along is when Chalamet is uh, outside with a guy that's like uh, watering a palm tree, and he's like, "Oh, palm trees survive here." It's like, "Not if I didn't water them." It's like, "Okay," and that's it. We never really get to know any of them for you to care, and I think those those scenes of them being human beings or being three-dimensional so very important even if they're not you know anything that's going to move the plot along just so that you realize that okay this is not just a, a plain character that has nothing the way they inter the way they eat the way they you know i don't know wake up and or talk to people that are not main characters in the movie everything here seems to just work to move the plot along so you never get to know any of the characters, you, which to me made it impossible for me to care about any of them or whatever would happen to them. Even the scene with, with Momoa when he sacrifices himself is kind of like, yeah, who cares? You know, right. it's like, cool, he's saving them. I, I, I no connection with him other than Chalamet gave him a hug, kind of, like a side awkward side hug. Uh, so um, I guess at the same time, it's a blockbuster. So th- it, it's supposed to be big. It's supposed to be loud and is supposed to be visually impressive uh not they usually don't have that much depth uh which is why i think it's weird that they picked the story where if i'm not mistaken a lot of the characters it's like internal narration right and a, and a lot of it is very uh them talking to themselves or yeah. like the whispering thing uh so that's kind of kind of weird for a blockbuster visually i was also not impressed uh because i've seen his other movies and i've seen what he's done and with this one everything felt very one note again like the the places that there's not a lot of difference in between the worlds that they were presenting so that i guess that's why it feels like they to me they did it didn't feel like it was in space it, it felt like it was just happening in a world that's not our world and that's it yeah i completely agree with you um i think there was so much more depth given to the blade runner 2049 world where they really didn't even have to do a whole lot with that they just had to kind of recreate what we had already been introduced to in that original version and then enhance it a little bit um and they really didn't even necessarily have to do that but it just kind of felt like um well i mean it it feels a little bit retreaded of uh you know the Nevada sequence when he goes to track down Harrison Ford. It seemed like maybe they had just borrowed verbatim a lot of the you know models that they had already applied to that film and then just rendered them out at a a, a new resolution and then in, you know tweaked a couple of different things. So 
And also, I wasn't impressed with that space swarm. I thought the the Beetlejuice space swarm was way better than that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y- yeah. And it it it's only on what two scenes? Uh, the first one is when the the I, I guess it's not an oil rig, but the spice rig is falling apart, and you see it in the background, and then nothing happens. And then at the end, when they're like don't do anything and the worm's like okay and then goes away uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a missed opportunity maybe they're saving all the interesting stuff for the second one i just don't think that this movie should be two and a half hours when by the end of it you're kind of like oh uh, there's not really that much that happened there's not really that much that we learn that's not really confusing and and weirdly explained to at times that's, I was that's like, my I don't, biggest I, thing I, with this movie is it doesn't work as a first part on its own here's what i think they should have done i think they should have said fuck part one and part two we're just going to do a Zack snyder's justice league style we're going to do this all in one go it's going to be a big four-hour movie and that's that you go see it in the theater and it's four hours Maybe we'll throw in an intermission like they did with Gone with the Wind in 2001. And you're just going to have to take it that way. Uh, there's no reason for this to be a five-hour, two-part epic. Um, that you know, that fifth hour is just not, is probably not going to be needed. So, yeah. Well, money, I, right? Other than money, I guess. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. They had so much confidence in this performing well. And... Right now, the spin is, hey, Dune's still in... I think a lot of people felt like there was a good opportunity for this to flop. Because that Mm -hmm. first movie flopped. It was supposed to be the new Star Wars or whatever. This cast is obviously considered a great cast by today's standard. And uh, the property has a lot of love for it. um, That, I think, has been uh, built nowadays, anyway. If you take a look at like the modern nerd on the shoulders of that David Lynch dune, where it was kind of the obscure, weird pick from David Lynch that people would get into. And then you discover the book and the book is extremely well written. Um, and then it becomes like a, a part of fandom. Go ahead before you lose your thought. Do you think that hype is uh, manufactured though mm. from non-nerds that love the books? Because this feels like such a weird franchise for the regular public to be excited about other than knowing who the actors are. Because again, the story is kind of confusing. Like it's not very straightforward. It's not very well explained. I had to rewind a couple of times just to be like, okay, hold on. What is actually happening here? Uh, because I did, and I, I still, I don't think I got everything, but uh, I don't know if, or I mean, I've been wrong before multiple times, but this doesn't feel like the type of movie that like a wide audience would be excited about unless they're familiar with the, you know, or, or book or that. Even if you like the David Lynch movie, I don't think this feels like the same. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel like it's the same property other than, hey, the Spice, Spice Mallard or whatever the fuck the thing is called. <laughs> You know, I I think it's probably manufactured to a degree. What you wind up learning is that a lot of the hype and a lot of the fandom in many of these properties at least starts out, I'd say, a good chunk. Like, like, let's imagine Dune was a new – there wasn't a David Lynch Dune. There were the books, and the books had their – what you would imagine, like a 45-year-old, long-haired, like, sticks, hex, and hammer type of fan. 
they would show up at a sci-fi con- convention and they'd talk to the actors who were in the sci-fi channel miniseries of Dune. Okay. So let, let's say that's the extent of the Dune fandom. I would not put it past DC, uh, excuse me, not DC, Warner Brothers, um, to, well, let's say this movie's getting made in 2009 when Dark Knight is big and they got all that money and they were greenlighting all sorts of wacky, crazy projects that might not greenlight, like Observe and Report. That movie probably doesn't get made at Warner Brothers if Dark Knight doesn't rake in a billion dollars. Thank God. Um, so let's say that Dune is just one of those properties, because I think they probably were entertaining the idea of doing that for a period of time. I don't know when they acquired the rights. The original Dune, I think, was uh, produced by MGM. Maybe it was part of their library when they consumed the, mm-hmm. the, um, that studio. So message boards are a thing during that time. Twitter's around. It's not really that popular. Uh, Reddit is not, not a thing at all. If you're trying to conjure up a little bit of hype around Dune, if you want people to start taking Dune seriously, they would probably flood the message boards with um, some insiders to make it look like there's a thing for Dune. So then other people notice, oh, hey, people are talking about Dune. Maybe I should check out this thing, Dune. And then gradually that starts to build. That's how that works. Um, that that's the case with any of these properties. There's been plenty of uh, you know uh, film adaptations of literature that I thought there's no fandom for that. That's not going right. to do well, and I was completely wrong. So as long as um, I mean, and, and literature, especially if it is a a mainstream book, that's going to do gangbusters. I think under any circumstance. There isn't a, a situation alive where anything that isn't about 10 to 15 years old that did well and is somewhat of a bestseller isn't going to perform well as an adaptation produced by a studio. Right. And there's probably a lot of, uh, well, we're supposed to like this movie thinking because people that we like like this movie too, which is Well, that's Rotten Tomatoes, on right? Internet. Yeah. That I mean, what we're talking about right now, they don't real. I don't think they they get too hung up on that nowadays because I feel like that's a lot easier to sniff out on places like I mean, where real culture nowadays is built, which is like 4chan or, or Reddit. People try that anyway. It does work for very small people who are hip to how like these communities function. But um, for a studio to do that, it's a whole lot easier to make it worth a critic's while to give it a positive enough review where it will be fresh. Because again, a lot of people seem, this goes over a lot of people's heads, a fresh review on Rotten Tomatoes. It can be, it can be a two out of four and it just depends on the critic's mood, right? Cause I think they, they input that on their own or a three out of five. It could be a 65 out of a hundred. Doesn't really matter. And that all builds up into 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's a meaningless system, but it has a purpose to the studios and it is very effective. And also, I think Warner Brothers owns Rotten Tomatoes. So there's that. I I also started thinking, am I just thinking about this blockbuster movie way too much? Like, am I supposed to just turn my brain off and enjoy what's in front of me? But at the same time... No, that's not this movie. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Denny Villeneuve would ever make a movie like that. So this movie is considered a, uh, 
you know, like a, like the thinking man's blockbuster, <laughs> right? Dune is considered like, that's sci-fi for the yeah. smart people. Okay. Um, and people have like high regard for Star Trek is like, oh, well, this is, you know, they looked into the future. All these ideas started. In- <laughs> people love sucking Dune's dick. Dune is so well written as a Frank Herbert's first book. Anyway, I haven't read the sequels uh, is very well written. And a lot of that crosses over into this film where some of the, um, you know, just the writing of the script is uh, very good, but it's not good in like a movie sense. It's good in like, oh, that sounds, you know, deep, philosophical, nice wisdom to that. But I I mean, that, that, that's, that can be great. But what else are you giving me? You're giving me like little nods towards incest between Paul and his mom. Yeah. What? I don't remember that from the Lynch tune. I don't remember that from the book. <laughs> Mate, look, it's been a while since I read it. Uh, I don't remember that. Fe- you know what that felt like? That felt like the same thing. We're going to talk about it chapter two yet again. It's uh, uh, October is ha- Halloween month. That felt like when the, I, I, maybe it was Muschietti, maybe it was Gary Dauberman or whoever kind of caved to the Tumblr, Twitter, female fandom of like, oh, we ship. Richie and Eddie. And they retconned this whole thing where Richie said, even though there's no inclination of that in the first movie, not even a wink, no nod, nothing, that Richie was gay and Richie loved Eddie. It wasn't just that they were the, you know, the tightest pair of buddies in the group. It was that he wanted him since child. Is that, is that not in the book that he's gay? No, 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 it's not. It was actually in some of Carrie Fukunaga's earliest scripts that Richie was at least bisexual, but it was never part of that that version that came to theaters. And that was in unused, like the rest of those scripts got tossed out, but there was like a, a, a hint that uh, Richie Tozier, who in the script that where he is bisexual or gay, is named Richie Goldfarb. And he's also the... <laughs> I think they cut Stan out, so they they nix the whole Lucky Seven thing, and there's just six of them. They merge Stan and Richie into one, so he's a wacky Jewish comedian. Jewish. <laughs> yeah, you know, great. You could have got Jerry Seinfeld to play the adult Richie. So Richie right. Goldfarb is a bisexual boy, and it's not even hinted at that he likes Eddie. It's just that he he wants to go jerk off with another guy or something. That's it. Which, in the 50s, in the 80s, that doesn't even necessarily mean you're gay. It could just mean you're bored that day. Yeah, so that you found a magazine, right? You guys body. found a magazine in the woods. <laughs> friends just staring a little too long and longingly at you. I don't know. So, something yeah. like that might happen every so often. But anyway, the uh, the Paul and his mom thing, where Timothy Chalamet is disrobing, and you see he's not even like slightly muscular body. He's just very skinny, very gaunt. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, "Oh, I shouldn't. I shouldn't look." <laughs> oh, 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 that's my son. My my handsome Oscar Isaac, ethnically ambiguous husband is dead now. That's my son. What? Yeah, what this I, is my son that looks looks nothing like me or his dad. <laughs> He's little Guatemalan dad or me. Yeah. I um uh, I guess yeah, you're right. I don't know. I uh, I I'm honestly started to uh think that I, if i'm just like a, a miserable person that doesn't enjoy anything i watched uh it can be both mo- listen you are True. certainly a, the curmur- curmudgeon of the show who doesn't like a goddamn thing but at the same yeah. time these movies aren't 
good. And they're trying to trick us into believing this is like a, this, this is this is the new whatever. It's just shit. It's just boring. It sucks. It's but the I same also, thing. This is the same movie as Tenet, I'm sure. I, I I also feel like my criticism is not as shallow as it was before. Like, I feel like before I was just like, oh, that sucks. I hate that guy. You know, but now I actually have reasons as to why I didn't well, you gotta like think it. about um, it now and stretch it out to 60 yeah. minutes at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, I watched uh, Mid-90s today, uh, that Jonah Hill movie. Oh, I saw on Letterboxd you had some kids. words for it. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm going to do a comparison with this that I don't think anyone would do just because I saw it today. But uh, in both movies, I like the aesthetic of it. I like the setting a lot. And, but I also feel like they both suffer from the same thing, which is this is going nowhere. And I just sat here through an uh, episode five of a series of 10 episodes and nothing that happened really mattered that much. You know, in that movie, when it ended, I was like, oh, all right. So we're not going to see the friendship, really. They're not really going to go through anything other than the accident that they have at the end uh, when they come together, I guess, uh, in the hospital. Um, we don't really go, we're not really going to uh, see anything about his brother's relationship with him. He just cries and then we forget about him. Uh, his mom looks to be an interesting character, but we're not really going to go deep into that at all or even wet our toes in the water. Uh, so so then by the end of it, I was like, oh, cool. I mean, it looked cool because it had that 90s California skating culture that I, that I liked when I was a, a young lad. But it doesn't really go anywhere. And then by the end of it, I was just like, okay, that, that looked cool. Like that was, it reminded me of, of the nineties, I guess, or nineties movies. Cause that's not my experience at all. I'm in third world country, but I didn't feel like it went anywhere with this movie. Things happen, but again, the performances are so flat and everything feels so dull that by the end of it, after sitting for two and a half hours, I'm kind of like, okay, well, this is part one. I understand that. But I kind of wish they did something with part one where the most exciting part is in a really bad, boring fight between Chalamet and the only black guy in the movie, by the way, that he kills. The rich white boy kills the only black guy in the movie. And he kills him so easily, too. This yeah. is this is a real problem with this this film is the and this is ultimately why i think i turned against it because i was fairly open to um not disliking this movie and um the third act is i think really what bothers me because it is so anticlimactic and that that knife fight uh between the two of them is so quick he, he, you know, he does away with this guy who's meaningless to the story. He doesn't really, you know, it would be one thing if maybe he killed Javier Bardem or something. That would at least be a little bit of spectacle to close the movie. Right. But you don't even get that. You just get him, no, even, Zendaya, really. Even Javier Bardem is like, let's not do this. This sucks. <laughs> the character's like, why are you doing this? This this sucks. Don't do that. Uh, and then it goes from, okay, everyone's accepting him and his mom to, this is the one guy that doesn't. And I'm going to kill the woman. And the Bardem character is like, you can't fight the concubine or whatever word they use. And he's like, all right, well, who's going to fight me? And Chalma is like, me. It's like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> Who gives a this? shit? That's what you're exactly. watching. I don't give a it's fuck like, about any of this from the movie. What, I'm supposed to care? You should have did it all in one go. And I hope they don't make their money back because this was 
it's just worthless. I mean, look, it's look. I will say on a technical level, and creatively speaking, this is a much better blockbuster movie than a whole spectrum of films that were released this year, and also in the past couple of years. But I just don't care. There's nothing yeah. about this that that has me hooked in, aside from the obligation of finishing it. That makes me want to go check out that second part. And I think they are deeply relying on that because, again, the the the, the biggest fault here is the casting, the Chalamet casting of of the the protagonist of this film was a devastating mistake because he offers nothing for us to latch onto. He just looks good in outfits because he's that skinny and he has look he's got cheekbones and he's got a jawline but his face is all fucked up looking where it's like star shape star i i don't i don't like that it's very grotesque it's very unappealing it should be a perfect triangle if anything but no he he looks like uh he he's horrible he's just not good too in the, in this role i just don't i i don't know if i'm supposed to be Seeing a twenty-two-year-old or a thirteen-year-old, you know, there's there's not really that this distinction between, oh, he's a very innocent boy that doesn't know anything, and then all of a sudden two days go by and now he's a killing machine, like that transformation between this to this never happens. It's just all of a sudden now he's good at doing this uh, training, I guess. That at the beginning he's like, let me go fight because I've been training or whatever, but. It's never like we only see it when he's training with Josh Brolin at the beginning and then at the end when he kills that guy. So it never really feels like he's a threat. It never really feels like he actually would be able to win that fight. And then when he wins it, it's so whatever the way it happens. He like what is in the gut? He like knifes him in the gut or something in and, the and side. That's it. And the, the, the guy, he does more screaming and yelling than he does any sort of like movements at chalamet he just yeah. he belts out some guttural sounds and then lunges and then that's that's about it he exposes himself and it's over it, it's like what what you do when you have no budget and you need to do a fight scene where someone nice with that dies with a knife so you have to shoot it from like their back so you don't see the knife actually going in if ever it like there's no um what's the the word i'm looking for uh fight choreography to it it didn't feel like a real fight even uh especially with how cocky that character was who is like i'm gonna fucking have to kill you now because i'm the killer i'm the killer of this group and i'm gonna kill you and then within two three minutes it's over and he's dead um so yeah i i, I agree i think uh having him as the main character in a blockbuster like this uh, again, I'm not very familiar with the with the original uh, material, so I don't know how old he's supposed to be. But there's nothing about his performance that uh, made me care about the character or care about anything that was going to happen to him. Um, especially after the Oscar Isaac character dies, which I, I thought they were going to do a little bit more with him, but another character who just comes and goes, and then I'm supposed to care because he's the dad, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's very dull and very just uninteresting. Uh, even though, like you said, yeah, technically it's, it looks really good. Uh, even though again, like a lot of it feels like that arrival ship where everything is like 
a big room with a lot of black things. Yeah. Uh, and the architecture is very cold, uh, very square, everything. And then when you go to the evil, I don't remember their names, like, as usual. But, like, when you go to the bad people one, it's like, oh, it's a, just a giant dark room, which is not very interesting. Or he's in, the, in that giant bathtub and there's nothing around them, just, like, an empty room or whatever. So even that feels like a little, I don't know, like, I especially after seeing you know his other movies like even uh enemy or um what's the other jake gyllenhaal one uh with uh, the Prisoners. spider oh with the spider know, with, oh that was enemy wasn't it that was enemy yeah yeah even even that one where where you know it most of it happens in an apartment it has a more interesting visual style than this and again i wonder if if it's just because uh he focused so much on showing how vast and huge this world was. So a lot of it is just wide shots. So you're kind of like, all right, that's, that's a cool shot. It's wide. But then after the 30th wide shot, you're kind of like, are you going to show me anything else? Or is it just going to be wide shots to be how big, to see how big this thing is? And where's the interesting camera movements? Where's the interesting, you know, shots? I just, I was very bored by it when it comes to that. Uh, the special do you th- effects. Hold on. Do good. you think? Do you think yeah. that you would have been captivated by this film had you seen it in a theater, or if you had seen it in IMAX? Do you think that the fact that let's assume you watched it on HBO Max, right? Right. Is it the fact that you watched it on HBO Max a detriment? Did that take away? Because obviously, this film, Villeneuve was pissed that it was going to streaming at all, so. This was clearly intended to be a big screen spectacle. You're going to get wrapped up in the world. Do you think you would have come away with a more appreciative stance had you seen it the way he intended? Well, I I saw it in my projector, which is not amazing, but the screen was pretty big. uh, And the sound I have is pretty good over here. But I think... When it comes to being immersed into a world like that uh, in a theater, it might work a little bit better, but you also need to give me something more than just the immersive world. And that's what I feel like this movie fails to do, which is give me someone to root for, give me a storyline that's interesting, give me characters that I care for, uh, something other than look at this universe and this world i see a lot of people comparing it to uh either star wars or lord of the rings because of how big uh the movie is supposed to feel but those movies are are filled at least the the original trilogy not the hobbit or the the sequel the star wars sequels uh those are full of uh small moments between characters when we get to know the characters when we get to interact with each other doing other things a lot of uh uh scenes where they fuck up or, hey, we're not perfect, which makes you root for a character as opposed to, you know, nothing happens to this boy because even the strangers know that he is the one. So they talk to him, which, by the way, fuck you. And uh, this movie, when they did that, it really bothered me when they're like having a conversation and then they look at him and they're like, what would they and say something on another language or whatever? Wow. And it's like, what is that? It's like, why are you whispering that? No one's reacting to it. It's just, I'm just going to whisper this to him. You are the one, you know? Oh, why are you wearing your shoes like that? I don't know. It felt right. Oh my God. What does he say? The the line is like, um, when the one uh, 
it's something about something about how he knows without knowing you know because right, he's right. the one or whatever yes it's just like what what that i don't again i don't know if that's part of the of the lore where of course maybe is, they're trying is. to maybe they're trying to do something with like their internal thoughts or whatever but it just felt so weird that someone's just like conversation 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 it's like if i'm talking to you right now and then i'm like pinche pendejo you know and then keep talking <laughs> and it's like oh no one's going to address the fact that i just said something in a different language that only he understands yeah, for very some reason how dare you <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like that that was like what again um this is probably a, a, be, a more enjoyable experience on an IMAX screen, just because even if you watch a shitty movie uh, on an IMAX screen, there, you, you'll find something. The, the loudness, the, the vastness of the screen, you'll find something to enjoy. They but you still, also need on, a story to, to carry The it. only IMAX movies, once upon a time, used to be you'd go and sit and watch 40 minutes of salmon swimming around the screen and then a <laughs> yeah. shark might show up and eat some of the salmon and then you go home and you spent $18 a ticket to see that in IMAX in real IMAX and you'd be happy so yeah of course it's always going to be a good time in IMAX <laughs> I remember that the, one of the first things that I ever even saw announced on IMAX was a Michael Jordan documentary I don't know if you remember that uh but that was like one of the first things that I remember seeing when I was living in Canada uh that was advertised for IMAX. A lot of it was also like a space shit where it's just yes. like, we're going to show you what earth looks like from outside of the earth or something like that. Uh, but then um, what have I seen? I've seen Beowulf, that uh, animated one, which oh, the Crispin Glover Beowulf with, with <laughs> yeah. Ray, Ray Wise is Beowulf. Yeah. And Angelina Jolie. Uh, is Grendel's like mom. Villain. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. That's true. I love um, that she doesn't have a name of her own. She's just Grendel's mom. Yeah, that's how that's shows. how every female character should be treated <laughs> in every movie. Well, Zendaya, mythology, right? You, Zendaya <laughs> is just is Paul's hole. That's what I thought her name was from the book. Paul's mom it's and all, Paul's hole is the other teenager in the movie. That's her role. Um, but, but yeah, I. I, I I personally, you need to give me a little bit more than just how nice this looks for me to care, especially if you're trying to sell me a sequel. Uh, so uh, that that that's what I feel is the, the biggest issue with this. Like it doesn't really do much when it comes to that. Uh, and even after, like I said, I, I well, I don't know if I said this before we started recording or not, but the first time I saw it, I fell asleep. Uh, and, uh, you know, I woke up and I rewinded and watched the whole thing. This time I stayed awake, but I, I I thought, you know, maybe I'll find some enjoyment when I'm not fall, falling asleep. Maybe, you know, uh, the Halloween kills thing would happen where I saw it again and I was like, you know what? This movie's fucking dumb, but at least the kills are fun. Uh, and I'm also not under any uh, pretense that the Halloween franchise is good uh, by any Means. Yeah, right. Uh, I, see, that was another thing with the Halloween kills where people are pissed off. It's like, did you did you not see Halloween 5? Did you not see Curse of Michael? Ma did you not see H? Listen, you go back to H20 yeah. now, fucking sucks. Did you not see Resurrection of the Re Rob Zombie no. films? No. Oh, oh. The, what's the, what's the, uh, what's the Buster Rhymes one? I, I'll defend Halloween that Resurrection is a great yeah. fun time and I think it's yeah. underrated genuinely yeah. underrated as a slasher film yeah uh, that the third one and the first one 
uh, I, I had to rewatch the Rob Zombie ones, but everything else, just like any They're other okay. if you have a, icon. If you have a taste 80s. of, uh, uh, you know, if you have a taste for Rob Zombie, those movies are fine. But if you don't, then they're shit. So well, I, I have a taste for early Rob Zombie. Mm. Not so much ugh, lately. Oh, well, last three, the I monsters. You've got to get ready for that review of the oh. monsters that's coming with what's his name? A Daniel Roebuck is Grandpa Just Monster the and sharing the characters zombie. from the character from Three from Hell that shouldn't have been in the movie. Isn't that who they are? I think so. Uh, his last three. What are they? Uh, the Salem's lot one no, no, no thank god no <laughs> actually you know what? i would i would gladly take rob zombie salem's lot over what is going to be coming out which is gary doberman's who who's the screenwriter of it the screenwriter of old boy 2013 of i am oh. legend he is a hollywood hack for like, like he's a kiva goldsmith level but he gets employed because he delivers blockbusters so He's got enough hits under his belt where uh, he is looked at as a man of uh, of quality that's going to help the film. And he is making his directorial debut with Salem's Lot, which James Wan was supposed to direct originally. Now he's just going to produce. Well, he also wrote Annabelle. Uh, so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's quality. He wrote The Nun, which is one of the worst horror movies I've seen. In a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hate it's gonna be It's going to be fucking horrible. <laughs> and they, they just added an Adrian Brody series to Epics, which is supposed to be based on a short story called Jerusalem's Lot, which is a good short story. And it has nothing to do with vampires, just like a haunted house uh, thing. And in it, he's coming from japan or somewhere he's got mixed children and then the town is just like yep that's normal is a man in 1777 with mixed race children chinese oh. kids yeah. yeah oh and his dying japanese wife had no fucking accent at all she was just like picked up off the street of koreatown in san francisco or wherever the fuck that is in the west coast uh just an actress you'd find on backstage.com today didn't try at all to make it seem authentic to the time. They've given up on that. They're not interested in that anymore. Well, I feel like by the way, hold on. Sorry, the kids that are mixed race don't even look half Asian or half white. They look Indian. (laughs) Great. Well, you know that's what happens when you mix Japanese with Jewish, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Adrian Brody is really Jewish. I think he's just Italian. (laughs) He just looks like that. so I guess we're back to the 90s where they stopped trying to make good Stephen King-based movies and now they're just whatever franchise or whatever story we can get, we'll do anything we'll do, just we'll because... Mutilate it something name. new. Yeah, and sprinkle elements of it. Like the Castle Rock show where Barkat Abdi became the lead character because nothing says Portland, Maine or wherever the fuck it is based, <laughs> based on that Barkat Abdi. <laughs> Like just a trying to find man try, with trying, no teeth. <laughs> trying to retroactively justify that Academy Award nomination. Please. Because I'm, I'm I'm looking at the list. Okay, The Mist that they did in 2007, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, that's it's kind that's of fine. whatever, but that's, that's uh, you know pretty what? good. I saw The Mist with, um, you know, I, I, I went out uh, with a girl 
and uh, one of my friends came along and we were watching the movie and just not taking it seriously at all. It was kind of, I think on the last show we did where we were talking about Halloween kills, I mentioned that I went to go see Halloween 78 in the theater and the, these teenagers were just laughing throughout and it jaded my experience of it where I, I started looking at the cheap negatives of the film and seeing that as points of, of humor. And I started laughing. Well, with The Mist, I'm with my friend and uh, you know, a girl who, I, who would eventually be my girlfriend. And the bad special, it was bad back then, back in 2006. The special effects were terrible. Um, and we were just laughing out loud. And people were upset. People were yelling <laughs> at us, saying, shut up. Hey, That's shut the up. That, the one that happens in the supermarket with Thomas Jane, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's serviceable. I mean, again, looking at the track record of movies based on Stephen King properties, that would be top ten, I think. I'm, I'm being generous. I, I feel like I don't think there's ten good movies, uh, but uh, let's well, see. Um, the Shining, well, Carrie, uh, Misery. Yeah, Misery's good. Misery's pretty good. Uh, I think it's a little overhyped. Shawshank Redemption. That's a really overhyped one. Green Mile's good. That's five. I would say right. Original Salem's Lot. That's another one. I would also say... Damn. Lawnmower Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lawnmower Man is great. <laughs> uh, Judge Dredd. The Running Man. A, yeah, Running Man. And um, what was it? Hackers. That's a great one. Hackers is... That's not on this list. I don't know. It's okay. Anyway. Uh, I like uh, Christine. That one's fun. Christine's, but is it a, like, it's a good it's, horror yeah. movie, but it, is it a good movie movie? Is eh. What about Stand By Me? Yeah, Stand By Me. I, okay. We're getting there. Three to go. Dead Zone. Yes, Dead Zone's very good. Let's, uh, what about, I mean, I think Pet Cemetery is a fun horror movie, but it's in the same category as Christine as far as that goes. Same uh, with Cujo. Yeah. Dolores Claiborne is kind of shit. Yeah, Parks I don't Atlantis. think we got, we don't have 10, right? Not yet. The, Has anything come that? out in the past couple of years, like past five years? Yeah, you got uh, Dr. Sleep. <laughs> oh, right, Dr. Sleep. <laughs> you got Which, by the, the way, tall, yeah. She's You're definitely watched. on contract with Warner Brothers playing Paul's mom in this movie. Although she looks much better here without that stupid hat on her head. Oh, that's her? Yeah, I yes, didn't that's even Rose the it. Hat. Rose the Hat. Uh, you got Into Tall Grass, which was a Netflix this movie. You Mm-mm. got uh, The Pet Cemetery. With, 1945, uh, I believe is the name, with Thomas Jane was 22. a pretty good one. 1922. 1922. 1945 is John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, yeah. Steven Spielberg. War movie, yeah. Uh, Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game was... That was right. fucking dog shit. I hated that movie. That was garbage. I'm not even going to entertain that. <laughs> you got The Dark Tower? I like The Dark Tower, to be honest with you. Didn't, it was a dumb... I think that was another one. That was by Akiva Goldsmith. I think he wrote the script to that. And that you know what? That felt like a very dumb blockbuster Roland Emmerich 90s movie. Uh, we only get nine. I'd say, look, I'd, I'd throw, I guess, 2017 in there. Right. Um, 1408. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> that one's pretty goofy. 
I don't know what riding the bullet is. I don't know what secret window. Oh, secret windows that Johnny Depp movie. That, yeah, they didn't I, pull I that off. That was that's not terrible, but it ain't it ain't that. You got a Dreamcatcher. Oof. That's a fun one. That's one that <laughs> maybe we should we should do on the show sometime. Maybe that, that's a Civic TV pick. I don't know. I think I think I have that on DVD. Uh, I have it on VHS. I, I in my head I was always look I was so hyped up for Dreamcatcher I was like this is basically the sequel to it. You got the fifties camaraderie, you got the the friends. It's Derry Maine. In the book, Dreamcatcher Pennywise pops up a few times. Not in the movie, obviously. You got Tom Sizemore oh, barely really holding it together from his pill addiction, his crack addiction. Morgan Freeman giving wow. a very strange oh. performance. It was directed. Um, by uh, Lawrence Kasdan. Yes, of the Big Chill. And, um, oh God, what did he direct? Uh, geez, William Hurt, Kathleen Wyatt Turner. Uh, Bodyguard, uh, Accidental Tourist, Silverado, Return of Body. the Jedi. Body Heat. Raiders Body of Heat, Lost I think, Art. is his first movie. Oh, no, he wrote it. Yeah, his first directed one. Yeah, Body Heat. And, and he, he did, the Big um, Chill. He, did, he wrote the, the Star Wars films. Yep. Uh, Big Chill, Silverado, he directed The Accidental Tourist, I Love You to Death, Grand Canyon, Wyatt Earp, French Kiss. Dude, I checked out Grand Canyon recently. I saw Steve Martin's face. I was like, this is going to be a hilarious comedy. I'm in the mood for Steve Martin today. And uh, oh, wow. I put it down yeah. with, with my chick and uh, we, we were having some dinner and watching Grand Canyon. There were no laughs at all. That was a no, serious yeah. drama movie, um, South Central L.A., Steve Martin like gets mugged or something. And then you have uh, Kevin Klein and he's trying to have a relationship with uh, what's his name? Danny Glover. And people are dying. It's a sad movie. They won like the Palme Dior or something. I was like, Oh (laughs) fuck. I was so wrong, but it showed Steve Martin smiling and laughing for the box art on, on HBO max. But he has a beard. That's how you know it's a serious movie because he has a beard. When a comedian has a beard, it's a drama. Yeah. That's the rule. Yeah. Uh, and also that Dreamcatcher movie had a pretty good cast. Tom Jane, Jason Lee, Damian Lewis, and Timothy Oliphant. That's, that should be a, you know, a quality movie, especially if it's just them being friends. And then I don't really have a, a memory of, of the movie happening other than uh, some gross shit happens and then they die. Literal kind of, gross got, shit. It's the Shit Weasels movie. So I think I've told this story before on this show. But my first memory of Dreamcatcher is the Dreamcatcher movie poster popping up at the local theater in Quincy, Massachusetts when I was a nine-year-old or 10-year-old. I think it was a 2003 film. So they probably ushered out the poster in 2002. So I would have been maybe 11 or 12. And uh, I'm just staring at the poster. And I'm looking at the poster, I'm observing the poster, and some uh, skeleton-looking woman who works for the theater comes over and tries to make conversation with me and uh, says something like, oh, well, the book was really good. Did you read the book? And I said, no, and I walked away from her. And <laughs> that's that's my earliest memory of Dreamcatcher. She was frightening, that lady. I bet she was mm-hmm. a, I don't want to make any accusations, but, you know. Anyway... I mean, it's- it's a cool poster for like 2003, I guess. Uh, let's see if oh, no, it's not bad. Um, it, I, it held my attention. 
yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm checking this out. And uh, I was kind of excited for it because if I recall correctly, they weren't making too many film adaptations of Stephen King's work around this time. It might have, well, horror anyway, because they had the Green Mile, I think in 99 or 2000. But for the most part, any horror novels were getting made for television. And then that ran its course. The Langoliers is where it really bottomed out. And you didn't see them for a while. Oh, Rose Red was actually, I think, the last one. That one wasn't bad for a TV yeah, movie. Th- there was uh, Arts in Atlantis, Secret Window. Yep. So they, they went totally, totally non-horror. Riding the Bullet, by the way, was a TV movie um, that was not meant for TV. I think it was going to go direct to DVD. It had a very limited theatrical run, but it was essentially made for USA, the network. There's a 2002 carry? Mm-hmm. Oh. There's a 2002 carry, and I think a two... Th- oh, oh, yeah, there's three oh. carries. 2002 was made for TV. The Zalem slot with a Rob Lowe. Oh, TNT. boy, that is a big old pile of shit. That <laughs> TNT, two-night, we-know-drama Rob Lowe adaptation. I like aspects of that That one. Uh, Donald Sutherland is having a blast in that as the uh, striker character that is uh, looking after Barlow. But Rutger Hauer eats shit in that movie he sucks he's horrible as barlow and they try to make him sexy like in in the book you gotta imagine it's more like a like a traditional dracula character the nosferatu look that's introduced in the toby hooper one that was i mean that they had the same ideas that uh and then they were initially going to hold off on it toby hooper picks it back up and was not bothered by the fact that uh, Werner Herzog was doing his Nosferatu film around the same time. And they said, fuck it, let's just do this anyway. I think it, it's better to go creepy than suave. Suave has been done to death. Right. And so they did um, the Frightening Barlow, but they returned to the, the origins of the book for that TNT adaptation. So you have 60-year-old Rutger Hauer and he's got like wavy John Heater style hair and he wears like a frilly collar and he's got like he, sexy blue eyes and fangs and he soul, has a soul patch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got blonde hair. <laughs> this oh. looks so bad. <laughs> this looks horrible. Oh man, yeah. Here's what I know. Uh, I think um Rob Lowe, somebody had an autobiography come out and he briefly talked about this movie, but I don't think he cited it as this movie. Um, and he said he worked with an actor and the actor he described was very clearly Rutger Hauer. <laughs> and he said, this actor showed up to the set with a pre-prepared monologue that was three pages long that he wanted to, del- to deliver. And he refused to memorize the script. And he said he was going to deliver this monologue. And the director said, no. You can't do that. And so Rutger Hauer had to read all of his lines off of cue cards and props. And like it was traditional Marlon Brando and Superman, like reading the lines off the baby's diaper. That's essentially what they did with his character here. And you can tell he sucks in this movie. So he's supposed to be the Nosferatu, like iconic character from the original Salem slot. Right. He's the head vampire. Uh yeah, that's a, so that's he's not introduced decision. until the second part of that miniseries mo- TV movie, and they do a lot of hyping up. Actually, he's introduced at the end, and he's talking to like the town retard, 
And he's like, I bet you always wanted to be handsome and walk straight and woo all the girls. Well, I know how to help you do that. But he's not even like cool Rutger Howard with the blonde hair and all that. He's like an old man. So it's like before they put him in makeup and wardrobe, and he's just got glasses on and he, he looks his age. And I guess he bites the town retard and suddenly he's a stud. That's really the second part of Salem's Law. No one likes to talk about it. All the retarded people get made normal from the vampire. So it's kind of a net positive. He's the strongest vampire ever. Uh, <laughs> are you familiar with the 2009 Children of the Corn series? Oh, it's a film for TV. There's also, an, oh, well, Under the Dome, which is a, a classic. Oh, Under the Dome. <laughs> For CBS, I, listen. I haven't watched any of the Children of the Corn movies. Haven't read the book or the short story. And Under the Dome, I remember reading that book and thinking, "This is great. This reminds me of '80s Stephen King." And then the first episode, I was like, "I should have known better. This is a CBS procedural, awful, awful, awful turd of a show." Um, and not even Dean Norris, whose name they used at every opportunity to say, "Dean Norris stars in Under the Dome," could save that. Remember. Remember Breaking Bad guy? Remember him? He's in there. Which was still on. Barely, it was of. still on. I'm fairly certain Breaking Bad was in its final season or two while they were doing that. And uh, I, I don't know if his character had been killed off yet at that point. But that show is horrendous, of course. And it ends poorly. I think they changed the ending from the book, which was... We're ruining the book today. Uh, it's about a town that is... Uh, you know, siphoned off from the rest of America with a like a force field that's put around the town. And they're like, well, it must be a government program, must be something else. No, you find out Wait, at in the, the book, end. And the book in is the book. not a crystal, it's not a crystal dome. It's just like a, like a, like a force field. It looks like, it looks like glass, but it ain't glass. Okay. It's, if you right. come up because against it. if they it, touch it, they get fucked up, right? Sure. Right. So, turns out, it was just a little alien and he was, you know, putting a jar over the town, kind of like how you might put a, a cup on an ant and trap them. Good okay. one, Steve. Good one. That, that took a lot of thinking, huh? Um, <laughs> terrible. So, you know, his books, I, you, you, people have tried to turn this around and say, oh, you know, actually he, he nails it more often than it was always known. Stephen King does not know how the fuck to end his book. Um, and people are trying to take the dissenting take of, oh, no, no, no. Actually, for most of these, the ending is good. It's just th this here and this here. And this. Mm -mm. Right. No, they're all bad. We, almost without exception, they're all bad. Um, people What's like to cite it. Uh, it is the one I've revisited the most. And I know it like the back of my hand. But I would say that the the book that probably is the most the highest quality overall is pro probably, oh, geez. My, my personal favorite is is probably It or Salem's Lot. Uh, the best book, maybe The Shining. I think The Shining is extremely well done. There is a period in his career where everything seems to take a turn once he gets into the 1980s. And uh, that's probably cocaine. That's probably all sorts of drugs. That's where you get wacky Stephen King, and that's how it comes about, and that's very good on its own. But um, those first few books are are really uh, top notch. So I don't know. There's there's plenty of answers I could give. I think the last very good book that he had written was um, oh god, the name is escaping me, but it's being made soon with Samuel Jackson, 
and somebody else. Movie or series? I don't know uh, what it's being adapted to. Let's see. Uh, the Institute, The Jaunt, Joyland, Revelations, Sleeping Beauties, The Talisman, The Ten O'Clock People. No, no, no. Or uh, Boogeyman, The Breath, Breathing Method, uh, The nope, Dark Those Hall. are all sh- short, short stories. Elevation, Firestarter, uh, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. I think it's like God of one, Agony, the long one word, walk. maybe. Revival, Throttle. Revival, that's what it is. That one was uh, a good return to form for Stephen King, and he has a fairly good and very nihilistic, creepy ending. But it's still also a little... Eh. He could have done it better, but it's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting turn. Kind of reminds me of uh, what we were talking about the other night, Frailty, how that right. movie, or I think we were talking about it with Oki, and Oki's interpretation was, it's actually demons telling him to kill whatever. And I was like, right. no, it's, God, it's literally God it's saying, kill these people. That's, that's the right. weird fucking ending of that, is you wouldn't think that because you got whatever Bible and... Allah or Jews, I don't know what the fuck. Listen, you got you're bringing all that. No, maybe God is just not. Good. Maybe maybe God has some <laughs> sick ideas, and this validates it. It's it, it has that sort of tone to it, which is so bleak and uh, awful, and definitely not what you would want to believe on your deathbed. What's the Tommy Knockers? Shit, it's awful. It's a bad Jimmy Smith's miniseries and a terrible book. Because they're making it into a movie produced by James Are you kidding Wan. me? They're doing it again? <laughs> James Wan? Yeah. Oh, Universal. God. Pull up the uh, alien it, from Tommyknockers. It, I don't think it's a terrible design, but holy mother of God, was that miniseries bad. That came right off the heels of it. It was kind of oh, like... Oh, I've seen this. I've yeah. seen this. It looks like a like the retarded cousin of Pumpkinhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says that um, Roy Lee, who produced it... Uh, joins with Larry Sinitsky. Not from uh, classic Larry Sinitsky. I love all his movies. Let's see. His movies are uh, Whitney, Betty and Coretta, Company Town. Oh, no, it's a short. A Very Married Christmas. He does TV movies. Titanic miniseries. Um, the Tommy Knockers miniseries. So that's cool. If you like that one, he's coming back. He's back where yeah. he started. Ah, re- I love when someone retreads humble beginnings. Uh, and this other Chinese guy, or not Chinese, whatever he is. So he's from Brooklyn. All right, Roy Lee. Uh, he's you he heard it here first. The, Deep Roy, starring in the Tommy Knockers, made for TV, James Wan, HBO. Well, Max hold on, let me, let me blow your mind over here. He produced the Stand series. Awesome. Uh, he produced the Bates Motel series. Beethoven 1 and 2. Love those movies. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Godzilla King of Monsters. Classic uh, the films. Lego, the Lego Ninjago. The Death Note movie. You like that one. Uh, Rings, which is the movie where Samara comes out of a cell phone. <laughs> you know what? I uh, would. I would actually... <laughs> I would be into it if they did that, but they made it take place in like 2002. So she was coming out of like a Nokia phone. Just a flip phone, a razor. Uh, he produced the, the old boy from 2016. 
Great track record on this yeah. man. Uh, okay, let me let me share the Tommy Knockers. Listen, and, um, he started at the Tommy Knockers, nineteen ninety three. This is a consistent fellow. I don't hate that alien design. Um, it's not a good movie, and I'm pretty sure these do wind up looking goofy when put into practice. But facially, at least, that's not terrible. Yeah. What a babe. I mean, as long as you don't really show it that much, if you show this, it's like, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> like that body's not scary at all. It just looks like, it looks like an old man that's naked. <laughs> yeah, it's just that very looks like dry. That's the woman from The Shining in the bathtub right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, it's not very, oh. Oh, is that Jimmy Smith's? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Smith's right? is the, the lead. Here, can we go over to this uh, It knockoff cover on the bottom left? This one? The white uh, tearing through. Oh. This is an exact... Okay, so this was the VHS cover when this was released um, at the video it stores. Cover? It is the same cover as It. Yes, which, um, you know, that, that they tried to sell Tommy Knocker. I believe that was ABC also. They tried to sell it as a soft sequel to It because it takes place what? in Gary, Maine. And oh. like Dreamcatcher, Pennywise pops up briefly in tommy knockers that's cool is he in the series no of course no they would never do anything like look they wouldn't have fun in that sort of way back then they didn't like doing that they said what penny no people will get confused if we even if we if you even just show a balloon they're gonna get confused by the time oh you know what what is like a, the last great Stephen King adaptation for TV or for movies is um, the James Franco one. What is that called? Um, 11-22-63, which is about the JFK assassination. Hulu did that as a limited series, about seven or eight episodes, and it maintains its quality all the way through, is well executed, and they save like the dumb Easter egg, haha, is it's Stephen King for the very end. Again, in that one, you have characters from it that do pop up because it takes place in Derry. In the series, James Franco is running around a basement and then they stop and they pause on a wall. What, what's on the wall? Red rum. Someone oh, no. <laughs> Just, well, you didn't need to do that. It makes no sense. Uh... It's 1963. This is about JFK. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Just stop. Ah, Jesus. Yeah. Well, that was, um, that was the first hint that we were going to get Dr. Sleep. The second hint was Ready Player One. With the it scene? No, no, no. I with mean, the, the Shining, the the shining, shining Twins, yeah. Uh, Scott Derrickson, apparently, is going to be directing an adaptation of The Breathing Method. Do you know mm. that book, book? Is it a book? It's a, it's a short story. I yeah, I think um, I've read it, but I, I don't think I recall. I think it's just about a head. I think it's about somebody's severed head that's, that they're keeping alive. I don't know. You couldn't, and that's not even, I might have it wrong. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And uh, I, like somebody was in a car accident, lost their head, and they managed to keep the head alive because it was full of oxygen. So I don't, uh, I don't think that's going to justify a film. Um. It says that it's about 
an unusual New York club with an inscription that says, it is the tale, now he who tells it. Cool. That it's doesn't offer much. What does that mean? Anything. Um, it says, uh, takes place at a club where gentlemen, oh, shit. Um, it says, there's a strange club in New York where men tell each other stories. The years pass, but no one looks any older. One night, a doctor tells the story of a young woman who gives birth to a baby in the most horrible way. Even psychic powers, obsession, and the supernatural in the most ordinary everyday places. A spine chiller from the master. Why is he called the master of horror? Can we, can we talk about that? Stephen Who's King. the master of horror? Stephen King. Right, but who else is there that we have anyway? So he's just by default. I think he's earned that title based off of how many books he's sold. And I think being such a big pop culture figure. Right. Even though, as we've talked about, the quality of his books is. Yeah. yeah. But in fairness, think about how many books he's written. That dude has written a book a year for, for. He's 70 something years old. He's still publishing whatever he's got in his trunk. Um, he's got a remarkable amount of hits among that batch. I think almost all of his books are readable, at least. You can get through them pretty easily. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not much of a reader, so I don't know. Arl Stein. Oh, yeah, Arl Stein. <laughs> Maybe for children. Look, his output is pretty impressive, but he was also getting paid God knows how much per little book, little paperback he was putting out from Goosebumps. Did you ever see that uh, Jack Black movie? No, I saw The Haunted Mask back in 1995, and that startled me as a a boy. What's that? The Haunted Mask was uh, the first episode of Goosebumps and they released it as a movie, even though it was only like 40 minutes or whatever. And they put it on in prime time and the mask was spooky. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Uh, The kid can't take it off, right? Right. And you gradually become, it's kind of like Venom, you know, Uh, you gradually become evil. And there was a Haunted Mask 2, which nobody really watched. It was a girl. This one. Yeah, that was uh, that was some creepy stuff when you were a child. Looks pretty, looks pretty terrible now, but but yeah, I can see that. Was this the show that started with the the dog? Right at the beginning, there's a dog, and then he's ice turned green or whatever. Yes, the there's a, the okay. woofing in the theme song. Dun, yeah, dun, was more dun, of, dun, dun. and then they do. The oh dog yeah, version. yeah, 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 yeah. I was more of a "Are you afraid of the dark?" fan because I'm gay i guess no i listen uh, i think are you afraid of the dark had creepier episodes for certain but the problem with are you afraid of the dark is they also watered the show down and would throw in as many nostalgic like oh here's a ghost from the past and i'm trying to get back to my family and i need your help little boy i'm just yeah. a friendly old man help me get to this phone booth by midnight so i can meet my family and she's like, I didn't want that. I wanted the fucking vampires in the hospital this week. Right. Where's the where's the where's the demon clown with the blue ooze coming out of his mouth? I don't want ah, there's a watch in my factory. I gotta get. <laughs> Cut the shit. I wanna be spooked, god damn it. 
This is SNCC, not not uh, uh, what is it? Hallmark Channel. You know what? What's another ontology series that no one talks about anymore? Wishbone. That was very good. <laughs> I don't know if that's an <laughs> anthology series. <laughs> sure. Listen, Didn't he I... go to like he was one of the musketeers or whatever in an episode? Like he would go <laughs> yes. back in time. <laughs> You're right. No, listen. I guess that is an anthology series. You're right. There's no real continuity to it. He would just pop up and go somewhere. Yeah. Man, how many how many of those dogs you think they went through on that se- like I think in the first season, so many of those dogs died. Didn't they do that with like Lassie, where it's just like, hey, there's oh, twenty yeah. of them. <laughs> oh <laughs> they yeah. Just die and- Up until the nineteen nineties, they didn't keep track of the animals at all. So you could just fucking throw a, a cat off a cliff and be like, all right, take two, next cat. <laughs> like uh the infamous Milo and Otis. Which Milo I and Otis, loved. I was about to mention that. I love Milo and Otis. Now that's a Japanese film that is under a different title and they re-edited it and through a narration by Dudley Moore of Arthur over that. And infamously so many cats and dogs got killed on the set. Like literally they went through about 30 cats and dogs and they fucking died horrendous deaths. Literally what I just said, pushing them off a cliff I'm fairly certain that happened or like they would throw them in the river or something. And it's like, oh, yeah. I can't, I'm trying to, sw- that's so oh, man. It's such a buzzkill to learn as an adult. <laughs> do you know, do, are you familiar with Louis J. Gomez's, uh, what happened when he started talking about Milo and Otis in an episode? No. He was drunk. He started, <laughs> he was drunk. Like he got wasted. And then he started talking about how he saw Milo and Otis with his kid. And, you know, it's a very sweet story about this dog and a cat that become friends. And then by the end of the movie, the cat brings the dog to meet his family. And as soon as he said that, he started bawling <laughs> because he was drunk. Uh, and oh, wow. they're just like, are you are you really crying about Milo and Otis right now? And he was like, oh, man, it's just so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've never seen that. Uh, what's the the movie A Dog's Purpose? Is that the the recent one where there were scenes of a dog being put into like a whirlwind of water or some shit? Before right, like, and, and listen, that turned out to be uh, fake. That was someone trying to sabotage the movie. They wound up proving that I think in court, but that wound up fucking everything up as far as including animals in movies because then you get the Harrison Ford. Um, what was it Jack Wolf? <laughs> yes, film the one where he, where he just Call has the a, wild. a guy, just a guy with him dressed as a dog, and it's a dog. Well, not, the dog's the, an the extra CGI, motive, yeah. like a human. He's got yeah. He's always oh, I'm sad. Oh, I'm a dog. It's like <laughs> I can't. Why? Just give him a dog. Just put a dog in the like. Maybe cut it up a little bit. Put a dog in sometimes, and put make it CG for the wild stuff. I guess like where he's fighting right. off humans. I don't know. Just try harder. Snow dogs. That one was. Boy, how many the... snow dogs died? <laughs> what's the Liam Neeson one where he fights wolves? Have you seen that one? Oh, that's um, that's the, the gray cold or something like that. The gray. Yeah. I wonder how many wolves they went through. <laughs> or is he just punching guys wearing motion capture suits? I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think animals die on the set uh, nearly as often anymore. I think it's maybe you take a look at it even on a movie like a dog's purpose i would be stunned if any animal died during filming of that from anything other than natural causes and even that i'm skeptical of 
Well, you can't kill animals anymore in movies unless it's like a monkey that's killing people, like on Planet of the Apes or something like that, because people just get outraged and you can't sell that movie. Uh, the that didn't one... happen. Hold on. What are you talking about? A monkey killing people on Planet of the Apes? Oh, you mean in what a fictional mean? sense? I thought there was a monkey on the set that was oh no no abusing people. <laughs> no, 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 and no. Had to put it down. I was like, you remember Cobra? But I grabbed like a AK and shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, because what's the last movie? What's the last movie that came out that's mainstream where a dog died? Was it Marley and Me? That far back, probably right. Yes. No, I think you might be onto something with that. It was Marley and Me, and that was based on some dude's like nonfiction book, his memoir of his life with his dog and going through all that traumatic shit with his dog. And the dog mm-hmm. died. The dog eventually met its end, like all dogs do. And it was, of course. Very depressing to see in the film, but you cast uh, Owen Wilson to be the main character in your movie. Owen Wilson, when he was down on his luck in loving drugs, thanks to Steve Coogan, who should be in prison for getting Owen Wilson hooked to the point where he tried to kill himself, Robin Williams style, and failed and had depression. Listen, Steve Coogan at least is funny. If Alec Baldwin (laughs) is not going to go to jail, I don't think Steve Coogan should go anywhere. But you know. I just showed you a good time. I didn't think you could do so much, so many drugs with your fucked up nose. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that, that, that's fair. Alec Baldwin, I, you know, people were t- tweeting out hashtag Alec for prison. <laughs> Nobody's understanding at all these days. Now, listen, he did fire three shots and uh, uh, mortally wound one, and- <laughs> at least one person. Um, you know that he was just fucking around with it, right? You know, he was like, ah! You know, they probably told him, like, there's no live rounds on it. He was like, oh, yeah, man. Just shot him. I like, have oh, never eaten, like, whoops. we've been using, like, BB guns and stuff. I won't even point that at somebody. And we shot our film for, like, $8,000. Alec Baldwin had to learn that lesson the hard way. But you know what? I have a, listen, I have a different take on this whole affair, which is, the cast and crew, or rather, I guess just the crew, said, oh, we want better hotels. We want COVID safety. And they decided to walk off the set. Yeah. And then they brought in a bunch of nobodies, a local ragtag group of nobodies to teach them how to use guns. Yeah. And that's what happened. And now they're going, oh, see, we were right. No, if you stayed on the fucking set, then that woman would be alive. You bunch of whiny pissants. Well, uh, listen, but I'm also thing- of the listen. I'm also of the mentality that if you're working on it, if you're holding the fucking boom mic, you better be ready to die for that film. Also, because if me- anybody had that mentality, you wouldn't see pieces of shit like Dune getting made. You wouldn't have the little things getting made. You better you better be ready to sign a contract in your blood if you're going to work on a film. I'm flying in in a couple of weeks. I don't, know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about that anymore. I don't want to die in Boston. Listen, there's plenty of opportunity for both of us to be injured in a severe way. You were on the con- dragged across concrete. Listen, for this next take, this next scene we got to shoot, I'm actually going to latch you to the car. We're going to have Jerry drive the car. Or we're just going to drag right, your yeah. body. It's only going to be like several hundred feet it's not going to be right. that much if you think about it you're about yeah. six foot seven so just yeah go, just... go times about uh 15 times or so and that's about one 
One just day? throw my body, throw my body in some Boston River that I'm gonna come out with. Well, that might actually and... happen. We'll see. We'll see how the Revere Beach looks. I don't know yet. Five legs and four eyes on my cheeks from that fucking poisoned as water. Listen, this Dune movie's put me in a bad mood today. I'm just, I'm, a, I'm a little grouchy on this show, and it's because I guess Dune was just boring. It was, it's not yeah. even like an aggressively bad film. I completely understand why people like this Dune movie. But for me, it's just like we've reached the point of there are so many of this type of film that have that have occurred. Nobody's trying to make any new types of films. And certainly not with that budget. And Denny Villeneuve is a talent. He's a good director. It feels it feels like this is the, the most hollow of his works to ever be released. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you look at the other movies he's done where they all feel like there's a vision and there's, you know, characters that care. Uh, Arrival, well, Sicario I've never seen. Blade Runner, Enemy, Prisoners. Great. Prisoners is so good. And everyone is so good in that movie that even if, again, not, maybe not, not, the, not, not a lot happens. There's not, it's not an action movie. It's not a blockbuster or anything, but the performances are so good in the direction is so good too that it just on its own you know this is what a story about a kid getting kidnapped uh works a lot better than a hollow soulless blockbuster like this and what's the so he has this he has a mini series called the sun about dune oh oh no no it says a son questions his father's suicide jake gyllenhaal so he's going back to gyllenhaal that's good because he's been good on on uh both uh enemy and prisoners but then you have dune part two and then dune the sisterhood uh that'll be a hit oh what is that an hbo max tv show to accompany it it says it oh oh uh it uh centers on the lives of the bene gesserit which is the old women dressed in black awesome uh, and then after that, he's been announced to direct a Cleopatra movie. So I guess he's full in studio director now. Like we're not going to see. Well, he's been interest- a stu- listen. He's been a studio director, but he's been one of the few interesting studio directors. And I don't know if I can say that anymore. Until this, yeah. You know what who they should get for you- that that sisterhood movie for Dune is uh, what's that schlubby hag from Mad Men and Handmaid's Tale and get him to the Greek which is Elizabeth to, yeah uh, the Invisible Man one perfect yeah that would that woman oh I can imagine all the viewers are going to show up for that and they Elizabeth will Musk. yep <laughs> that's right I love her face I love thinking about um you know the 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 alcoholic 32 year old women I went to high school with living in that town of Quincy that's what she yeah. reminds me of, is any woman I'd see at the pub drinking, drinking her sorrows, swallowing a, a, probably a, not even a light beer, but a, a whole beer. A Guinness. <laughs> Just a, a thick, <laughs> a thick beer. This is going to be farting it out all night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but yeah, what would you rate this out of five? Because I haven't seen your rating on Letterboxd yet. I think I gave it three stars or three and a half stars because it's technically good, but I just, I don't care. 
Like, I don't care at all. I don't really feel passionate about this movie one way or the other. It maintains a certain level of quality where I can't even really dunk on it. It's just like, it, 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 we're, it, it's so difficult to rate this kind of movie in a way that feels informative and honest to the, the current period of time we're living in. Because again, there are so many of this type of film and it's exhausting. And I, I, I don't know how to even put it into words anymore. Just like, it's, it's good. It's, it's technically, it's good, but what does that mean? I don't care about yeah. good. like, I'm just like, good does not matter as much as interesting. And this is not interesting. That's my yeah. stance. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm not even excited about, like you said, about the second one. I'm obviously going to see it just because I want to see how he ends this thing. But there's really nothing about this movie that made me want to sit through two and a half hours of whatever happens next because who cares? <laughs> who cares about what happened in this one? Here's what happens that next is a bunch of uh, mentally, sexually deranged 15 to 32 year old women on Twitter and Tumblr are going to sh start shipping Paul and his mom and start doing illustrations of that deviant art illustrations of that, that you can find probably right this second. Can we see? Let's find out Hans. Pull that up. <laughs> right. Let's see. Right. Paul and Paul's mom sex triple X. <laughs> Just put that into Google. I'm sure we'll get something. Oh, and maybe add Dune to that because you might get some some other Paul. You might get Paul Newman and his mom. Paul Walker and his the ghost of Paul Walker. Paul Everything Daniel. to know. Men's Health explaining the Dune ending. That's good. Reverend <laughs> Mother. Okay. <laughs> what do we got here? Hmm. Well, I nope. guess maybe, Paul maybe and not. Dune sex. Hold on. Scroll up again. <laughs> Did you mean Paul and Palm's mom done sex? Maybe if you're living in the South, that's how you would say. Listen, uh, I don't think we go to Twitter. Art, I don't. I don't know if the DeviantArt results show up here though. Uh, I might have to just go to the website and search there. Sure. Oh, shit, I could have just done that. Uh, Paul, his mom. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> no. Maybe no. Not. Okay, how about Dune? What? How do they put romance these days? What is the term for romance that they would What write? the ship? fuck is this? Dune? Is that Anthony Fantano? Is it an old man? Uh, how about Dune ship? Paul Dune. Like that uh, ship hold or on, ships? Scroll. Well, I think we see some kissing on the on the bottom right here. Oh, is no, just giant breasts. <laughs> Jessica? <laughs> Oh, is that Paul and his, is that mom? his mom? Aha! Yes, we've got it. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's, it's just, Paul is not he's not motivated. I wonder why. motivated to marry a princess because he's got mommy's milkers there. And you got the, the baron in the background ruling over it. That's nice. Ha ha. So you see, yeah. this is the kind of thing that... Uh, is on the minds of the average Dune viewer. And that's why they hinted at that, to purposely feed into that. Because there's some sort of um, evil that's permeating modern <laughs> Western culture. Uh, you know, what's it? Rule 34, is it? 
if you can think there's porn, it exists or something. Sure. Of it. I don't know. I'm trying to to be online, but I remember what that is. A very non-online person. Listen, I think the benefit is that you're not online, that that you're not with it. But speaking of porn, I did, hey... I want to talk about the one. How about the 36 of, porn, of 250 here? Uh, we got, uh, I just decided to check this out. To, oh, spe- ooh, excuse me. I don't want to get us kicked off YouTube. Uh, Vincent Gallo's The Brown Bunny on Blu-ray. But I'm going to tell you right now, I kind of feel a little gypped. I feel a little oh, gypped no. by this. Now, I like the fact oh. that I have it as a collector's item. I'm, I, 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 actually, I love it. Was the cover the blowjob? No, it's not. It's a blowjob. It's not Chloe Sevigny. It is an African American woman. Does that happen in the movie? No, it doesn't. Oh. Okay. So Gallo so, is just uh, up to his old tricks. Old tricks. So why are you disappointed with it? Well, I popped this Blu-ray into my 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray player today, and I'm like, <laughs> I can't wait to see this thing in uh, Sterling 4K. However, yeah. First of all, there are no special features. The Japanese DVD has a, has a commentary by Gallo. The okay. US DVD, I think, has a trailer or something. This has a white screen that says, hit enter or play to start the movie. And that's your only two options, enter or play. Wow. So you hit play or you hit enter. And oh, then... Like a bootleg DVD from 2002? Yeah, but it's, uh, it's the Gallo font for Grey Daisy Pictures. Gray Daisy films. Um, it's listen. It's a nice package. I'll I, I'll give them that. Uh, enjoy the ride. Gallows for the DVD. Uh-huh. The it's very nice. <laughs> Good. Um, I go to. I, I'm like, all right. Well, maybe I'll mess around with the settings a little bit. Maybe I'll switch the language. Maybe there's a hidden commentary. Are there subtitles? There are no subtitles. Uh, okay. So then I hit display, and what do I see? I see 480p. They put a 480p movie on a Blu-ray and sold that for $70. That means the quality of this Blu-ray is the same video quality as the DVD. So now hold on a second. Because it's on a Blu-ray and because it's been remastered, it's technically cleaner. It's going to look cleaner, but it's still 480p. Now, 480p, if it's rendered out to ProRes 444 or whatever it might be, the codec, uh, it's going to look fine. It looked fine on my television. I wasn't seeing any pixels or anything like that. We didn't have that kind of problem. But it's 480p. It's not Blu-ray. It's not 4K. It's none of that. It's 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 a DVD standard. Right. So $70. $70. But, but hey, listen, it, it could be signed, worse. Though, right? It's signed. There's only 250 in existence. I got one of them. There's a nice note from Vincent Gallo uh, attached. Uh, nice African-American. Uh, interracial love is how I like to put it. I'm all about interracial love. And, can you read um, the note? Sure. Absolutely, I can. I want to uh, see how... I mean, uh, why don't you just talk for nice. a second while I get the package, okay? All right. Go get the package. Yeah. So... uh Trying to read what's behind you. Where are those notes? Is that Vincent Gallo picture behind you? This is Vincent Ga- Saint Laurent when he posed for oh, Saint Laurent was... in 2018. 
Um, we got a little Frank Miller. We got Paul Schrader. These are notes about editing for the movie. So it's best okay. to stay out of focus. Those are just reminders to myself. Um, here we go. This is the, the note on the package. This was um, put in a brown little bag. That's shitty that he put it on the envelope too. Couldn't he just print a it's card? All right. with it? I don't. I don't mind. Um, I kind of like it. I'm going to save. Work. I'm going to save these two together. Again, only two fifty in existence. Could be worse. I could be the Kino Corner who spent seventy dollars on the 2003 DVD. At least I got a. This will probably sell. If I ever am on hard times, in a year or two, this will probably be twelve hundred dollars on eBay. Mm-hmm. So there's that. that so, I'm going to say. I'm going to say 400 to 700 by the end of this year. Yes, that much. When did it come out? When uh, the was movie, it released? The movie came out in 2003. The Blu-ray was announced on October 15th. So Let's this is a brand this. new product. Oh, okay. it's selling. It's currently selling uh, $240. Very nice. Okay. Best offer. Oh, that's fast. See, I was thinking 400 by... Late December, we'll definitely hit that. That's gonna be that's gonna be good. I should have bought two to be honest with you. All right, so close though. Yours isn't closed. Well, I can reseal it. Well, listen, (laughs) there was no shrink wrap or anything on this. Okay, I still have this. We'll see. Maybe use three hundred. I don't know. Look, it. I'm not trying to wheel and deal here. This is mine. I'm an art collector. All right. Right. Now, let me read this note here, okay? And he has something to say about this new cover of um, what seems to be an African-American... She kind of, look, I don't want to make any assumptions here. Her face has a very prostitute look to it. She kind of looks... She kind of looks dirty. Uh, anyway, the cover art I used is part of a high concept and not meant to offend or shock. When I made The Brown Bunny, the film and all the materials related to it were treated by me with heartfelt sincerity, sensitivity, and insight, and with as much intellect as my little brain could muster. Yet my intentions, my personal character, and the film itself were all maligned, misrepresented, and dismissed by journalists who were motivated by personal agendas that really had nothing to do with the movie I made. And I think that it's fair to say that's mostly correct, okay. or at least half correct. Depends on who you ask. Any insights into male sexuality or heartbreak expressed in the film were trivialized. True. My motivation for making the film was questioned with uncommon severity. My use of sexual imagery was repudiated in a way that is completely alien to the world of modern art. Also fair. However, I have seen an interview with him, I think on Howard Stern or some talk radio program before this movie came out, or maybe it was even made, where he's talking to uh, Mila Jovovich of the Resident Evil series before she was in Resident Evil, as a matter of fact, saying, uh, talking about the movie. And Mila says, hey, whatever happened to that porno you were trying to do with me? Weren't you saying you were going to make a big, like high art porno? And he kind of just kind of jumped out of that. He started talking poorly about mexicans sorry to say hans uh let me pick up (laughs) (laughs) that is why i have made new cover art 
for this limited edition Blu-ray disc release. After 17 years, the ugly comments about me and my film have manifested into what the public now views as truth and historical fact. I believe this release should embody a culmination of all that ugliness. It should reflect all the false accusations and fictitious ideas about me and my motivations and speak to those rampant allegations of narcissism. The cover I have created achieves exactly that. It is the ultimate expression of the journalistic consensus on the film, the public's resulting reaction to that consensus, and the feelings they then formed about me personally. Most surprising to me is that the finished product still represents the film's aesthetic sensibilities while simultaneously codifying the public's most misguided views about the content. I have never worked so hard as I did on this film. I have never dug so deep into my own vulnerability to make something of which I remain immensely proud of to this day. Vincent Gallo. So there you have it. This, this, this is uh, an ugly piece of art, in his opinion, that he feels represents the film, but also represents the idea of the film. So I guess may, this might not be Vincent Gallo. I see. I thought this was Vincent Gallo. He must own this image. Maybe he did. Maybe he hired her just for the cover. Think about that. It's just the stock picture. Uh, I love that he's like the allegations of my narcissism. I'm just going to uh, persuade everyone by writing four paragraphs about how they're all wrong. <laughs> and I'm right. <laughs> There's five paragraphs here. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I like him. I think he's got balls, which is something that you don't find. He's got a hard cock. That's what really yeah. Big and turgent. Yes. Yeah. Um, I agree. I completely agree. I look forward to what he has to come. Him on the podcast. Yeah. Soon. forward to when he finally agrees to be on the show after the fourth time I ask. I think, <laughs> I, look, I think we can manifest that into happening at some point, just like we manifest, like, look, I'm being generous by saying we, just like we manifested his return to the silver screen coming right. out of retirement. So I think, uh, I think, I think this is a, you know, I don't, I don't regret a single thing about this here. I think this is great. Uh, I'm a little confused that it's only a 480p master. Maybe that's all, maybe he's, that's that's what all he's, he's got. got. Yeah, did he shoot it on film? It looks he did, like he it, shot but... it on 16 millimeter. Okay, so he should be able to get more than 480p then. You would think so, but I <laughs> guess that's just that's probably the master that exists that he has. It's his artistic vision. Don't criticize it. I mean, if I we're able never. to over overlook a lot of shit by using that excuse, why couldn't we overlook this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Do you think do you think uh Dune could take a cue from the brown bunny? <laughs> Just have Chalamet blowing Batista. <laughs> <laughs> That's where part we, two picks up. Enough with Batista, by the way. Can we stop trying to make him an actor? He stinks. <laughs> He's just big. You didn't like, like his right, big mouth-breathing him... look with his no eyebrows? Just <sighs> It's like, make him be big. Make him be the enforcer. Don't give him lines, because it sounds weird coming out of his giant head. Um, 
But he's okay in yeah. uh, for the limited time he's on screen in Blade Runner, where he's a like a bug nerd or or whatever he is, uh, and they quickly dispatch him out of the film. So um, yeah, I, I completely co-sign that. I don't think he works in significant roles. And uh, he is best served delivering one-liners and just showing his right. muscles. Artist in the Galaxy. That was exactly. a perfect role because he was kind of retarded and had a very limited lines. And he was funny. Um, but yeah, Dune. Best part about it, the gross fat man. Uh, only thing I enjoyed. Also, the little bunny with the giant ears. That was cute. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. It was on screen for like two seconds. Uh, but besides hey, that, um, you know, what has not come up once during this show is Jodorowsky's doing the documentary. Have you ever seen that? I was that I was thinking about that and completely forgot. And now you're reminding me. Yeah. Um, how much would I prefer that version? Because I know him as a filmmaker and how insane he is that that crazy vision. I feel like it will work much better with this material than something as sanitized and like dull as this ended up being uh especially when you see the passion that he has for the project in that documentary and how much he really cared and how much he wanted to make it uh and even the the concept art that was made by uh R. You know, hr geiger J- hr geiger yeah yeah that uh that looked great like it looked really cool uh and i think um lynch took some of that right he took yes. some of the designs i think uh, which I'm assuming are the the creepiest looking ones on the on the '84 movie, '84 is it? Uh, I I think it's around '84 '85. Those uh, designs got recycled into so many films, which is obviously nothing new. If if you watch the documentary, uh, I think they Alien, borrowed it right? for yeah for Alien, for Star Wars, for Blade Runner. It all winds up getting used um, later on, and I th- yeah I think a lot of. Um, that you do wind up seeing in different films. And then you, you get a taste of that, I think, in the Lynch Dune. And there was supposed to be some element of that in this film, but I, I haven't watched that documentary in ages, so I can't say if that's the case or not. I, I know that they were planning an animated version of Jodorowsky's Dune when they were still doing the Warner D- Direct line of uh, mm-hmm. animated f- features, which has now exclusively become uh, Batman films or justice league films whatever is going to coincide with a movie they're planning from uh the dc line in a year or two they like to use that as setup so but that 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 doesn't seem to be happening it sucks that they make these documentaries too because i feel like that one will be interesting to watch also the nicholas cage superman that documentary is Mm. really good too and it makes you kind of want to watch that weird ass fucking superman version uh and then what else? The Batman Year One with uh, Aronofsky. That one sounded also interesting. There's a, well, um, just all because- these all these projects are certainly interesting. They probably, I mean, so much happens once a movie gets into production that it's easy for it to fall apart. And during this time, late '90s, Warner Brothers was uh, radioactive. You got right. Steel, and you got Batman and Robin in the same year. So they wanted to put out Superman Lives the next year. 1997 was disastrous for Warner Brothers. That's what you really wind up learning um, throughout, you know, film history is that year was just toxic. They couldn't, they couldn't get it right. They lost a lot of money on big properties and uh, even the mid-budget films didn't really do that well. So 
Superman Lives, that's ultimately why I think the plug got pulled on that. It had nothing to do with the internal conflict because obviously they managed to forge ahead with plenty of films uh, in spite of so many different ideas of how something should work. But if you can just imagine that Kevin Smith and Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage, John Peters producing, um, could have been fun. Yeah, I'm looking in the 97 year for Warner Bros. Uh, Brothers in film and uh, it's bleak. Yeah, you got a Vegas vacation. That's <laughs> a good start. And then you got uh, Rosewood, Selena, Cats Don't. Oh, that's an animated one. Cats Don't Anna Dance. Car- yeah, Anna Karina, Kar- Karenina, uh, Murder Karina. at 1600. Yeah. She's a Wesley Snipes movie. Shiloh. Don't know what that is. Shiloh oh, is a dog. Dog. But a dog, dog movie. Right. You got Father's Day. It was a uh, Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. <laughs> yes. Mel uh, Gibson has a cameo. Addicted to Love with Meg Ryan, Matthew Broderick, and and a bunch of people I don't recognize. Was Father's Mama. Day a Richard Donner film? Um, let me see. No, Reitman. Ivan Reitman? Did Richard Donner have anything to do with it? Mm, I don't see it. On- I don't know. That's Maybe Mel Gibson. Okay, Mel Gibson was working on Lethal Weapon 4 probably the same year. And happened to be on the set at the time because he has a cameo in that film as a tattoo artist at a concert. Oh, well. Let's see what's next. Batman Robin. Yep. There's Wild America, which you saw Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Devon Sawa movie. Great ch- children's film, Clamshell uh, Box. You got Contact. Oh, Contact, which Oki loved. Uh, one eight seven. This is a Samuel Jackson movie. Uh, you got Free Willy three. Direct to video. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Yeah, Family. It's not a good year. It's a year to lose a lot of money. You got Steel, like you said. You got Conspiracy Theory, which is a Mel Gibson, Richard Donner. That's movie. okay. That's Richard Donner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think Lethal Weapon four was actually ninety eight or ninety nine. You can f- fire down below, which is a Steven Seagal movie. Seagal movie. Uh, L.A. Confidential. That's a good one. Uh, That's not bad. I, I watched advocate. that for the first time. That's not good. Then you got a movie called Breaking Up starring Russell Crowe and Salma Hayek. Uh, Russell Crowe was even has, famous. It has the worst poster I've seen. Let's see <laughs> Let it. Show, Let I've never you. heard of this film. Uh, I was kind of surprised that uh, oh look at that <laughs> he's got a moon face huh <laughs> that is terrible looking it uh, looks like they have the same face in that photo it's just soft it looks like someone used the blur tool in photoshop and took it to their cheeks then you got Matt Seedy she's a uh, Dustin Hoffman John Travolta movie uh, the man City. who knew too little. She's a Bill Murray spy comedy. Yeah, I'm sure it's deep. <laughs> great. Uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and the Postman is the last one. The Postman. Oh, the Postman. Kevin Costner at his finest. Uh, listen, the wardrobe on Postman is interesting. You can probably buy that on eBay right now. Maybe I'm 
buy that on eBay. I don't know. <laughs> Why? Postman outfit. I like collecting <laughs> postman outfits and making my own. I always wanted to be a mailman. You can still be a mailman. <laughs> Y'all just, <laughs> What's how about I quit this show and uh, quit directing and uh, I'll just go be the mailman. Yeah. Just work. You know how many mail and... people get fucking murdered around here? It right. happens so often. I don't know. People steal packages. People, people like... try to hold up. I don't know. I don't know what happens, but people have an aversion to anyone delivering packages and a lot of mail people have been shot because of it. Damn. You know who delivers a good package? Vincent Gallo in the Hey, Bronx. there we go. All right. You know what? I think that's a great note to end this show on is uh fuck Dune. Go see the Brown Bunny on Blu-ray, 480p Blue. Oh, you can't. It's sold out. Sorry. Maybe on eBay for 300 bucks. 200 bucks? 150? Download it. Yeah. No. I mean, good yeah, luck. Go Where? Message, I don't know. 1 to 3 movies, I'm sure is no. there. Uh, I don't think so. Is it not? I don't know. I still haven't seen it because I was never able to find a torrent for it. So maybe you're right. It's difficult to find. Yeah. I think it's gone. I've I've tried looking for uh because I, I had a copy at one time that claimed to be 720p and it was really just somebody ran a I think a 360p or 480p through uh an editor and up converted it. So it was same quality, if not worse. And um, that version has gone from the internet. He's very vigilant about taking down copies of his films illegally. So uh, I guess good luck if you want to watch yeah. it. Uh, sure. Uh, all right. That's, uh, that's but... been well, H-word name on Twitter, Hansikin Dose, yeah. Instagram, and you guys know where to find me. That has been Movies. We'll probably cover Dune 2 if, if it gets put into production. I hope this movie doesn't, but we'll see. I think it would be hilarious, personally, yeah. if they just couldn't afford it. If it's just... And then you have a, a release the Dune cut, the Dune 2 cut, with Dune 2 thing with five Dune years. Two. Like like they did with Zack Snyder. They're trying to do with uh, Suicide Squad and other similar. We'll see. I think they're going to force this to happen no matter what. Because they don't want to have the egg on their face about it. Because right now, I think Warner Brothers is in a state of, we don't know what to do. We don't know if we should stick with the direct-to-streaming idea because mm. it's hurting our movies. You know? Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Very, very, very loose budget compared to this one, probably. I, 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 think, I think they were probably going to up the budget by at least $50 million to bring it out to $200 million for that sequel. But... You know, it's very rare that you see a film studio of that caliber actually reduce the budget. So my thinking is that they'll quietly reduce it and it'll probably look like the same budget as the first one with the marketing featured and all that. So, uh, I mean, look, we'll see what happens. Again, I think they will force it into existence just to avoid the flack. I don't think the audience is going to show up for that. I think the second one is guaranteed to be a flop. Well, anyway. Anyway. Um. Well, Go watch, watch Lynch's Dune. Watch Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah. Watch Jodorowsky's Dune is way more entertaining and enjoyable. And there's you can you can see there's passion in the project. As opposed to... From a guy Andrew. who did not read the book. Who knew only a few details about what he was about <laughs> to adapt. But he had big ideas. Yeah. And he wanted to bring them to the screen. That's great. Could have got Orson Welles as, uh, as the antagonist of the film. Would have been awesome. Mick Jagger. Oh. 
Yeah. Yep. Also, go watch uh, El Topo and uh, Dance of Reality, and well, all of his movies are fucking crazy. Uh, much better than this. At least more interesting, more entertaining. There's a lot of titties in it, a lot of weird beheadings and shit. It's cool. It's very Mexican. Okay, He's that's like been Argentinian. Or yeah, something. well, you said beheadings. <laughs> I just assume it's the cartel. Aztecs. He makes movies oh. about the cartel. So if you like Sicario, you'll love Jodorowsky. Yeah. Dance of Reality, Day of the Soldado. These are these are all in the same texture. Yeah. That's been that's been movies for this week. Thank you for listening.